0: this ministry this is made possible by other people's generosity and i'd love for you to pay it forward join us to reclaim the message and the movement of jesus together so would you consider giving to this ministry i know that god is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together thank you so much god bless you and enjoy if we want our faith to evolve We have to admit who we are, and we have to choose to look forward and put our eyes on where God is leading us now, that God is saying to you, I will stay here until you return. So yes, last week, we started talking about this idea of what you used to be, right? What did you used to be as a person, as your faith? And I asked you the question, or I I posed, proposed, posed the question, if you could change anything about your faith, what would you change? And we kind of ended up with two categories. There were people who fell into the category of, I used to be good, but now I've gotten better, I've grown. And then there were people in the category of like, I used to be good, but now I've gotten actually probably kind of worse. And so I think regardless of which of those categories you may fall into, we are all here because we wanna grow, right? We're all here because we want to grow. That's why you're here. That's why you're watching online. And regardless, like I said, either camp, we still are going to move forward with kind of the same goal of trying to evolve our faith. So last week, we started the conversation. I gave you two things that you could do, and you can go watch those either on YouTube or on podcast. But today, we want to go into the next two things, and I'm going to tell you right up front that they are hard and they are not fun and you are probably not going to like them. So if you're here in-house, you're stuck. If you're online, I'm asking you please don't go away. It's gonna be good, we're gonna get through it. But instead of actually asking you what you want to change this week, I'm going to tell you what you need to change. You need to embrace these two things. And we're gonna go ahead and just say them out loud and get them over with. And the first one is submission. Say submission. Everybody's favorite thing. And the other one is community. Can you say community? community? Submission and community. How do these words make you feel? What maybe even comes to mind when you hear about these two words? Let's start with submission. Let's talk about the men in the room first. Men, tell me how you feel about the word submission. No hands. No hands, no sounds. So I'm guessing we have a lot of wives in here sitting right next to them. And the husbands are like, absolutely not. I'm going to weigh into this uh, topic right here. Ladies, how do we feel about submission? Generally not so great, right? Generally not so great because just possibly the word submission has been used against you. It's been used against us out of context. And it's not just for for married people. It's not just about wives submitting to their husbands. This has just become a very male and female thing that we've missed the word mutual. We've missed kind of the whole context of what submission is supposed to be about. And if you're not sure that this is actually true, you can just go to Instagram. You can go to a post, any of mine, scroll my feed, read through the comments, get to some popcorn. You're gonna be there for a minute. Any woman trying to do ministry, I guarantee you, is going to have verses about submission all over from other people and random strangers on the internet. So I will tell you right now, I do not like submission. I actually don't like it to the point that if you try to tell me what to do and control me, I'm going to buck up against it even harder and then make sure that I go the opposite way. (laughs) So that's submission. And then community. What picture comes to your mind when you think of community? It's a very, it's become a very churchy word, right? So you might have This picture in your mind within the church of like, everybody looks the same. They all kind of wear the same clothes. They all kind of end up looking the same. Like they go to the same store, get their hair done at the same place. Maybe for you, you tried to be involved in a church community somewhere, but it wasn't actually as open or welcome as they said that it was going to be. And you couldn't really break in as easy as they promised that you'd be able to. If we want any kind of spiritual formation or transformation, we are going to have to lean into both Submission and community. And in case you didn't think it was bad enough, here are two more words that you're it's gonna require to face them. And that is humility and vulnerability. Say humility and vulnerability. All right, that's what we're gonna take. That's what it's gonna take to get there. All right, so last week we met Gideon in Judges chapter six. We are an old testament story, and we watched Gideon literally take him out of a hole and get him ready and get him prepared in the process of learning to trust him again. And he is about to take um, an army to to fight the oppressors, to fight the Midianites, people that have been oppressing the Israelites for seven years. And so where we're going to pick it up today, Gideon is nervous because God took his army, his very large army, and shrank it down to a tiny, tiny amount, especially compared to the Midianites that they're about to go up against. And so God wakes Gideon up in the middle of the night, and he's like, all right, it's about that time. Thank you. Um, There's more song lyrics coming, so that was just the first one. Just hang on. If you like that, I got even more. All right, so God wakes Gideon up. He's like, it's about that time. Here's what you're going to do. Tell all your people. Get them ready. It's time for me to arm you, and and here's the weapons that you're going to take. Ready? Not swords, not axes, not bow and arrows not battle weapons of any kind. What I want you to do is take this empty clay pot and this torch, and then I want you to put the clay pot on top of it and put that in your left hand. And then take this ram's horn, like a Vuvuzela that they would blow at the soccer games, and put that in your right hand, and then go into battle, and you're going to win. And so he's like, all right, let's go. So Gideon rallies his troop, His troops, he splits them into three groups of a 100 men. And this is where we're going to pick it up in Judges chapter 7. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Which is really interesting to me. Because last week, we saw God shrink the Israelite army because God was like, I know my people, and they're going to try to claim victory in their own strength if I don't do this. And it seems that quite possibly Gideon didn't learn this lesson here. So it was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and their horns in their right hands and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed, fled to places as far away as, why don't y'all read this one? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, It's exactly what you think it is. Near Zerara and to the border of Abel Mahala near Chaba. I looked up all of these phonetically. Have you ever been awoken in the middle of the night by a sound or a bright light? Right? You're dead asleep in the middle of the night, a sound, a light comes in, and you wake up terrified. This is what has happened. Gideon's men froze. Like, this is that fight or flight situation. For me, I go to freeze. I'm the one that completely just paralyzes in panic. If Peter's not home, I'm like calling him. Like, I'm literally frozen in the bed. Like, I don't know what to do. But there's a sound outside. And it might be a raccoon, but I'm not sure. need you to come home and check it out. So this is what they're doing. They're awoken in the middle of the night, terrified. Bright lights, sound. They have no idea what's going on. And so in their confusion... They turn on each other, and they start to fight each other. Now, did you notice Gideon's submission in this battle? You're like, he won. There's no submission. Because we think of submission as defeat. But Gideon actually shows submission in every step of his story. We think that submission means giving up. We think submission means laying down our dreams, sorry, our dreams and our hopes and our goals, our wants, our happiness. You might have even been taught within the context of a church that that's what it looks like to be a good Christian, that you lay down your life in one big fell swoop for the Lord and for other people, and that's the way to prove to God how much you love him. So a lot of us end up growing up living this life of like, okay, God, I'm going to choose this boring, awful, really hard, lonely life, because that's my way to prove it to you. Or we don't choose that, and instead we walk around in the guilt and the shame that that's not the choice that we made, that only if we loved God more, then we would give up more things. But think about it like this, especially for the parents in the room. If you've got little kids, do you want them to submit to you and to your authority one time or all the time? You want them to submit to you all the time, all the time. It's not just a one-time going, yes, I acknowledge that you're my mother and I love you, and so now I'm going to submit. We want them to submit the second they open their eyes in the morning until the second they go to bed at night. Because I think deep down, we understand that that's really what submission is. It's more about our mindset. It's more about the way that we think about things, what we do in the unseen moments, Submission is more about our heart and our motivation for doing or not doing certain things, and it becomes much more than that big act of giving everything up for the Lord to show people how holy we are. See, this kind of submission requires humility. It requires that humility to be able to look at ourselves and look at our lives and go, God, I really want these things, even though they don't suit me, but I'm going to choose here to submit to your will. I'm going to choose to submit to your way and to turn away from this thing. Submission is often also private and personal. I don't think it's as big and showy as we've always maybe thought that it was, but submission is every single moment of every single day. It's going thinking about our thoughts and our words and our actions. If we can reframe what submission actually is, then we will be able to find on the other side of it the freedom and the joy that we've been looking for. If you can submit that one thing, that block, that's keeping you from God, you might be able to find the peace and the strength that you've been looking for. Submitting is choosing to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, even when you know he is leading you towards something that you don't really want to do, but you know that it's the right thing. Submission is going, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you in this, even though I know it's going to be hard. We don't have time to get into all of Gideon's story, but if you go back and look at it, you can see that every small, shaky step that he took toward trusting God, leading his life was a life of submission. And we see submission in the New Testament lived out as well in Jesus. He shows us that submission is being in a constant conversation with the Spirit of God in small moments in everything that he does to live a life that points to God's glory and to his holiness and to his power. Jesus said in John 6 that he came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. His whole life's goal was to do the will of God. He lived in submission over and over again to God's bigger plan. When he teaches the disciples to pray in Matthew, he says, God, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We even see him praying alone right before he's crucified. He's like, God, here is my ask. This is about to be the hardest moment of my life. And even though I really was part of the original plan to begin with, I'm gonna go ahead and just put it out here one more time that this is gonna be super painful. And if I don't have to be crucified, that would be really cool but still what he says in his prayer. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. In the day today, in those small, minuscule moments, the ones that no one else knows about, how are you taking your free will and submitting it to the will of God? In your conversations, Are your words, are your thoughts, are your narratives submitting to the will of God? Are they submitting to his grace for yourself and for other people? Are your thoughts submitting through the lens of think about things that are true and good and lovely? Or are you letting yourself be caught on a spiral of negative thoughts and emotions and things that are not actually of God himself? in our choices? Are we doing things that um, benefit us or other people? Are we supporting things that allow maybe the oppression of certain people groups because it's better for us if it stays that way, or it works out that way? Or maybe because someone actually told us it's biblical for things to be this way. We have to look at our own choices and justifications and behaviors and submit them to the will of God in order to love all people and allow our lives to point back to him. So that's submission with Gideon. We'll continue on in the story. So Gideon's men are out, they're chasing the people that are left, right? That are fleeing all over. And so Gideon calls other people to come join him. And even more people hear about it and then they show up, but not just to fight first, really just to whine at Gideon because they're mad that they didn't get invited in the first place. So he has to actually stop in the middle of this battle and appease them. In the scripture, I'm going to give you my paraphrase version, but he essentially is like, oh my God, you're so amazing. You've done way cooler things than we will ever do. I'm so sorry that I didn't ask you. I just knew you're so busy. You're so great. But here you are now, like, can you be chill? And then you can play with us. So that's what happens. They, they subdue their anger. They keep going off in pursuit of the two Midianite kings. In chapter 8, Gideon then crosses the Jordan River with his 300 men. And though exhausted, they continue to chase the enemy. When they reached Succoth, that's right, you'll see. When they reached Succoth, Gideon asked the leaders of the town, please give my warriors some food. They are very tired. I am chasing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the officials of Succoth replied, catch Zeba and Zalmunna first, and then we will feed your army. So Gideon said, after the Lord gives me victory over Zeba and Zalmunna, I will return and tear your flesh with the thorns and briars from the wilderness. I think that Gideon and his men are a little bit hangry, quite possibly. From there, Gideon went up to Peniel and again asked for food, but he got the same answer. So he said to the people of Peniel, after I return in victory, I will tear down this tower." And that's exactly what he did. That is exactly what Gideon did. He captured the two kings and their men. He returned to Succoth and Peniel. He tortured them. He killed their men. He tore down their towers. He eventually killed their kings after finding out that while he'd been out chasing people all through the country, the kings had actually gone back and killed his own family. The Israelites begged Gideon to become their ruler, right? They're like, please, you've done these amazing things. You've killed all these people. Please be our ruler. We need someone, because this is what the Israelites tend to do. But in submission to God, Gideon replies, "'I will not rule over you, nor will my son. "'The Lord will rule over you.'" However, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from the plunder you collected from your fallen enemies. So, I love that Gideon is here and he just like channels his inner little mermaid. He's like, You've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. You've got who's its and what's its galore. You got singing I only got 20. So, Gideon's like, Give me all of the things. And so he does, he collects gold and earrings and purple cloth and all of these things. And he's like, I'm going to take this. Thank you very much. I will not be your ruler, but I will collect all of this bling because God didn't, you know, ever say that that wasn't okay. And you're never going to guess what Gideon did with all that gold. Gideon made a sacred ephod, which is like an apron or, or a robe, like a long one, covers most of the clothing, from the gold and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. But soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it and it became a trap for Gideon and his family. Oh, Back through the cycle the Israelites go of finding something shiny, getting distracted, going, we are going to worship this instead, getting oppressed by someone, begging God to save them. God saves them. They're like, thank you so much. Everything's amazing. Wait, what's this shiny thing over here? And they just are back in the cycle. Now, if we skip uh, just a few verses ahead To the end, Gideon, there was peace in the land for 40 years, and then this is how the story ends. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, making Balbarus their god. They forgot the Lord their God, who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them. Nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Jerubbaal, that is, Gideon, despite all the good he had done for Israel. Tough story. How many of you know that life does not always end with a happy ending? Pause, please, I'm so sorry. And thank you. So Gideon, we've already seen submission, and you know that the other word that's coming is community. And what Gideon had to do was go back to his community. He had to go back to his community of imperfect people who whined about his choices and tried to compete with him and actually got themselves into more trouble. They led each other into bad choices. They failed God, they failed their leaders, they failed each other. And Gideon had the option of leaving them behind because while he was out, he found other people who listened to him and valued his opinion, who did what he said. They appreciated him. But instead, Gideon went back to his imperfect community, to give them a second chance, to lead them, to point them back to God, what he was originally called to do, to point these people back to God. And he knew that he was only going to be able to do it within the context of being in that community himself. Now, if you've been in church for a little while, or you've, like I said, this is a churchy word sometimes, you're probably expecting me to tell you that you need to be in community because someone else needs you. Someone needs you to serve, and someone needs your time, and someone needs your money, and those things are all actually true, and there is value in all of that. But I wonder if something about spiritual transformation happens, we can only become the people that we meant, are meant to be, that God wants us to be when we are in the context of community. Now, verses like Ephesians 5.21 back up the idea of serving and being in community for other people. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're going back, right? We've got a call back to submission because not only are we supposed to submit to God and to God's will, there is something out of reverence, out of love, out of respect to submitting to each other for Christ, There's something to being in a community where people know who you are because someone else needs you. And they do need your acceptance or your smile. But I also wonder if community is not so much about other people as it is about me, as it is about you. I wonder if community is actually about us. Until the very end, God did not use Gideon to grow his community. He got Gideon back involved in that community to grow him. He sent him back to that community to continue to grow Gideon. If you want to be a stronger, better person, if you want to have stronger faith, there is no better place to grow in your spiritual maturity than in a community of people. Growth always requires us to have an openness to our own blind spots, and they're called blind spots because we cannot see them. We sometimes overlook and miss our weaknesses, our habits, the things that we're maybe saying and doing that we haven't submitted to God or we think that we have, but we need someone to help us to know that they're there. You know who's going to show you what your weaknesses are? Other people. You go into a group of people and you're like, hey, I'm good, right? I got it all figured out. They'll be like, oh, are you asking? Hang on, let me pull out my list. Other people will tell you what your weaknesses are. Other people will tell you the things that they see God doing in your life and the things that they see you doing in response to God in your life that you can't see on your own. Now, for the voice that's in your head that's like, I I still don't buy it. I don't need anything. God can tell me anything he is God. I don't need other people. God can teach me whatever. I don't have to be around people, me and God. One-on-one relationship here. That is true, right? And sure, you can have head knowledge about anything. You can know about any spiritual concept or any of these things, but you can't practice much of what our Christian life is built on, the foundations that our lives are built on, unless you're around other people. Forgiveness requires other people Giving grace requires other people. Acceptance, patience, the hardest one of all, loving people, requires other people. It can only be taught and learned and practiced when we're in a community. And I'm gonna tell you one thing, the more imperfect the community, the better, because they're gonna give you all that more time to practice. So when you're tempted to look around your church and go, oh, I just wish they would this, maybe God wants to grow you in that area. Oh, I just wish that they would not do this. Maybe this is something that God is trying to teach you about interacting with other people that you disagree with or that you don't align with 100% in every thought or belief. It is not easy, this is hard. People are hard. People are messy. It is so much easier to look at Christians and go, God, your people are the worst, and just walk away, write them off. That would be a lot easier. Walk away from the collective Christianity. But if we're not careful, what happens when we do that is we forget that we are also part of God's people. And then we start having the mind frame of a removed perspective where we start talking about them and they and forget that it's actually supposed to be an us conversation. That will then lead us even further into going, well, this is their God and this is mine. This is their scripture and this is mine. This is what it means for them, but this is what it means for me. When God has called us to be one body and one church and one people all together. If we want to be able to grow. We have to have correction and change, not just for everyone else, but also a humility and a vulnerability to see that we need it ourselves. So we don't worship a God that has become created in our own biases, who is out to change everybody else, but is perfectly happy with the way that we live our lives and represent him to the people around us. If you believe that God will use you to reach other people, then you have to also vulnerably go, okay, well, God can also use those people to reach me. If all of this feels familiar, you may have that outer shell, that protective wall, whatever you wanna call it, that may need to break. That may be actually keeping you from growth because cutting people off when they disappoint us is not going to lead to lasting relationships. It's not gonna to lead to growth but it can lead to a life of loneliness and a faith that is just stagnant with nowhere to go. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The only way to be sharpened, to be worn down, and people are gonna wear you down. The only way for that to happen is to be proximate. We have to be close to other people. Now, for those of you that are watching online, you're on live stream, maybe you're watching later. My challenge to you is, could it be time to go back to community? Now, I'm not talking about toxic congregations. I'm not saying going back means you have to go back to places or people that were not safe for you. If you experienced harm there, I am not asking you to go back to that same community, but will you trust God that he has other people out there for you? Will you trust God that there is a group of people that values you and will accept you and will listen to your story and will listen to your experiences and be there to walk you through it until you find Jesus again or relearn a God that was not the God that you ever were meant to learn in your childhood? Maybe Sometimes you try, right? And it's disappointing. And it takes trial and error, I think, sometimes to find your people and to find the right people. But the one thing that I can promise you, which we also saw in Gideon's story last week, is that God has said, I will be with you until you return. I will be with you every step of the way. And if you try to go back to a community or find a new community and any part of the Holy Spirit in you is like, "Mm, not this one, then you go. And God will be with you in the next place that you try as well. And he will be with you in the next place that you try as well. And he will be with you until you find the people that reflect him in their lives. For those of us that are in the room, right? You guys are like, we're off the hook. We're here. We did it. You're here. We're glad you're here. And I know you're here because you want to change. You're looking for something. But your um, attendance doesn't always equate to your presence. Your attendance doesn't always equate to your presence. Now, if you look at the person, actually go ahead, look at the person next to you. Do you know their name? Do they know yours? I'm gonna just make it awkward for everybody. All right, tell them your name. Go ahead and do that now. No, don't really do it. Tell them your name. Thank you for humoring me. Now, as you think about looking around the room and other people in this room, And if you're new, we're really glad you're here and I want to know your name, so please come find me after service. If you look around the room, right, this is just an example, it's an illustration, but how many other people in this room know your name? How many other people in this room know you well enough to speak into your life? How many other people in this room do you know well enough that you can see God moving in their lives and you can speak into that? If we want community, if we want connection it requires vulnerability and it requires us to take some actions and some steps that we may not want to take it might mean that you show up early next sunday so that you can talk to people in the foyer while you're getting your coffee it may mean that you stay around after service you hang around later it may mean trying to break in to the conversation and i know it's hard and extroverts you are not excluded We are the ones that need to be keeping our eyes open for people that are hanging around on the outside that we can grab and bring into the conversation. We are the ones that need to be the includers and the connectors. We are not responsible for other people's action and community. We can't make other people learn the lessons that we've learned. Just because we've learned to be humble, we want everybody else to have learned that lesson too. It doesn't always work that way. Just because we're committed doesn't mean everybody else is also gonna be committed. But we have to be responsible for choosing our community, for being brave enough to commit to a community because those are also the people that will show you Jesus in your life. They will point out your blind spots. They will help you grow in the pruning process, but they will also affirm you and encourage you and show you who you are in Christ. Even though the Israelites eventually did turn their backs, on God. It said that there were 40 years of peace. And I can only imagine that in those 40 years, what they did was commit to being a community. They spoke into each other's lives. They spent time together. They prayed for each other. That's what we need to be brave enough to do. So let me ask you one more time. Is there anything about your faith that you wish you could change? If you used to be okay and now you're better, Keep going. Keep growing. Keep that humility. Keep that vulnerability. Keep that self-awareness that allows you to keep transforming to be more and more like Jesus. And look around for the people who are where you used to be. Look around for the people that are still lost and confused and lonely and remember, allow yourself to remember what it was like so that you can see them and share your story with them and help them along in the process. Allow God to speak through you to get to them. And if you're like, hey, I used to be good and now I'm worse. I'm kind of on the other side. I really hope that you have seen through Gideon's story that you are never too far gone. You have never gone too far. There is no place you can go. There is no number of choices that you can make where all of a sudden it's over. If you can commit to humility in submission, if you can commit to vulnerability in community, all of the things that you used to be, you're not gonna be anymore. You used to be alone. You're not gonna be alone anymore. You used to be legalistic and rigid and controlling. You're not gonna be that anymore. You used to be reactive and angry. You used to be bitter and cynical. If you can lean in and embrace how God is working in your life, you're not gonna be that anymore. Only Jesus can bring us through that transformation and God has promised promised that he will never leave us in the process. He is not going to leave you on your own to figure it out. Will you stand and I'll pray for us. God, we thank you that your plan for our lives, Lord, is relationship, that your plan for our lives is, God, not only to be used by you, because that can have such a negative connotation, God, but that we would humbly submit of our own choosing, God, to allow you to work through us so that we can point other people to you. God, I pray that we would be brave enough, have the courage, God, to take the next right step in front of us, whether it's to bring someone else into community, God, or whether it's to brave going back into a community ourselves. Lord, even though it's scary, God, I just pray for everyone right now, Lord, who is watching this alone. God, I just pray against the voice of the enemy telling them that this is where they're meant to be and that everyone will exclude them and that it will never work out. God, I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that those voices would be silenced and that people would show up in their lives. God, that just look like you and that just would reflect your heart for them. God, thank you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.